most of you will know we've been preaching through Hebrews, obviously, and um, you should have got over the last two weeks, if my calculations are correct, you should have had chapters 9 and 10. Is that right? You've had sort of, if you can remember back that far, you've had, you've had chapters 9, chapter 10. That's good because today I'm going to be preaching on uh, Hebrews chapter 10, the second half of the passage, uh, starting in verse 19, going through to verse 39. Uh, so Hebrews 10, 19 to 39. We're going to read through it sequentially. It's quite a long passage of Scripture. We're going we're to read through it and take it in chunks as we go through. Um, but first of all, just to, I just want to start by sometimes, sometimes it's good when you, you know, if you're reading a book, you're reading a novel or something, and you have a little break from it, and you come back and you pick it up again, it's good to sort of refresh your memory, isn't it? And go, oh yeah, what's gone before? What's the context? What's the story? Um, so just briefly, just to, 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 to recap on what Hebrews has been all about. Um, Hebrews, uh, as, as you've heard already in this series, was a book that was originally written to Jewish converts to Christianity back in the first century. Um, so it would have been written within a generation of Jesus' life and death and, and resurrection. And um, initially, as we were learning, as we went through Acts last year, it was a, it was a Jewish thing. The, the church were, were, were all people from Jerusalem and Judea. They were all people who were steeped in the Old Testament. They were, they were Jews, and they'd, they'd come to know the gospel message of Jesus, and they believed in him, uh, but they'd remained as Jews. And um, and the, the church grew from that way in, at the beginning. And then um, you remember from the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is, is stoned, is stoned to death, is the first Christian martyr, it says that after that a great persecution broke out against the church. And so these, these early uh, believers in Jesus found this new faith there was a persecution that broke out against them. And actually, in this passage we're going to be looking at today, um, if you've got your Bibles, you can quickly um, glance at it now. Um, Hebrews 10, verse 32, the writer's writing to these Christians, and he says this, Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in the great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, at other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And he goes on to talk about people being in prison, people having their, their, their property confiscated. These were the kind of persecutions that these young uh, believers in Jesus had to, had to, to go through. And, and what happened then, you see, is that um, after the persecution, we then have the rest of the story of Acts. The gospel spreads across the whole of the, of, of the known world at the time. And we're looking at probably a decade, maybe two, maybe even three decades later, this book is written. Hebrews is written. So he's writing to these believers who've gone through all these early trials, but then actually maybe time has gone on and, and, and things have settled down a bit, but, but the persecution has, has remained. And, and maybe from, from many of them, they've been tempted to, to just renounce this, this faith that they were given and to just go back to what was familiar better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. Go back to the law, back to Judaism. They probably had family who were saying, what are you doing with that, with that new teaching? Come back to what you know to be true. Come back to Moses. We can be good Jews together. And that's the context that this is written into. Um, so the, these guys are, are being tempted to, to just let go of the, the faith in Jesus. And so what we've seen is that the, the, the writer is so passionately uh, trying to win them back from this, from this, from this happening. He doesn't want them to do this. And the whole of the first half of the book that we've been going through has been demonstrating and showing why he doesn't want them to do this. And the reason why he doesn't want them to do this is because Jesus is greater. Our little tagline, Jesus is greater. Jesus really is greater than what went before. 
This is what he's been demonstrating. He starts off by saying, look, he's the son of God. You, you might have had prophets before. You might have even had angels. But now you've had the son, someone different, someone special, someone who've never had before, the very son of God himself. And then he says, look, he's greater than Moses, who you revere so much. He's the greater than all of the high priests that went before. Uh, and, and what you were learning in the last few chapters is he's a better sacrifice than what went before. The Old Testament with all of its rules and regulations and the temple, the tabernacle, um, all of the, 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 the specific instructions about how sin should be atoned for, how, how um, you know, that the animals should be slaughtered as, as a sacrifice for sin and how that should be done by special people who are specially qualified. And it's sort of chapter 9 goes through rule after rule after rule. And he's saying, look, all of that is now gone. All of that is, 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 is not that it wasn't important at the time, but now that Jesus has come, it's not important anymore. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the one to stick to. And that's been the message all the way through. And he's built this amazing argument, layer after layer, as he's gone through as to why Jesus is more important and Jesus is better than, than what went before. And what we've got here in this passage, we're going to read in a moment. In verse 19, we've got, we've got a therefore. It starts with the word therefore. And you've probably heard preachers say before, you know, if it's therefore, you've got to ask, what's it therefore? You know. What's gone before? What, what's it referring back to? And then that's true in this case. But what, this therefore is a massive one. <laughs> this is a huge one because this is like therefore in light of the whole of the last nine and a half chapters. What's it going to be? And actually what we see is a turning point at this point in the book of Hebrews. The whole of the next uh, sort of three chapters is basically exhortation. It's basically the writer starting to say, look, in the light of all of what I've just said, this is how to live. This is what faith looks like. This is what it means to live out your Christian lives and to hold on to it. So, th so what we're going to look at now is the start of this amazing exhortation. And there's so much in there for us. It's so relevant to us as believers uh, today in the 21st century. So let's have a look then. Verse 19. Therefore, and he goes on to say, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, in view of all of these incredible things, what? Well, listen to what he says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We'll just hold it there for now. We'll, we'll come on to the rest of it in a bit. So what we've got here is actually, it's structured really cleverly. There's, there's three exhortations, and um, conveniently, it's faith, hope, and love. It's good, isn't it? Faith, hope, and love. Let us hold on to, um, sorry, let us draw near to God with the full assurance of faith. Let us hold on swervingly to hope, and let us consider how we may spur each other on towards love and good deeds. So in the light of everything we've heard, this is a good thing to remember, faith, hope, and love. And we'll just look at these uh, briefly um, in turn. So faith, Jesus is 
the better sacrifice, as we've been learning. And I think a couple of weeks ago, I, I know this because I listened back online, even though I wasn't here, but Jonathan was preaching on chapter 9, and he used this great analogy. He talked about how, um, you know, as we drive around or cycle around or walk around uh, town, there's sometimes you hit roadworks. You hit roadworks, don't you? And they're so annoying. And they slow you down and you get stuck in roadworks. And, and, uh, and the thing about roadworks is that they are necessary to create something new. You know, you have, maybe the road is sort of knackered or it's being redone, and, and the whole point is a better way is being made. And roadworks are temporary. You know they're not going to be the final thing, uh, <laughs> apart from maybe the ones like in, in town a few years ago, like which just took, took ages and ages and ages. And it sometimes seems like they were always, always up for a very long time. But generally speaking, roadworks are temporary. And as you go through roadworks, it's like it's arduous. You kind of maybe have to twist and turn, and, um, and, and there's lots of sort of apparatus and stuff all around, and it's really annoying, and, it's, and, and, it, and it drives you mad, and, and you, you're late for where you want to get to. Um, but you know that, hang on, this is temporary. And then there's that wonderful, glorious day when the roadworks have gone and the new way has been opened up. Uh, as, a, as a cyclist, I'm excited about the roadworks that are currently, I'm not excited about the roadworks, but I'm excited about the new cycle path of opening up on the Bristol Road, down the middle of the Bristol Road, which means I'll be able to cycle to the office without fear of being run over by cars um, uh, in future. But, um, but that, that the point is that they're, they're temporary and they're leading to something that is permanent, to, to a better way. And this is exactly what the Old Testament law were in relation to Jesus. They were like roadworks, temporary structures, temporary things that, that were good, they were necessary, they were important for, for, for the people of God, for, 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 the, for the nation of Israel, who God was calling at that time to, 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 to live for him and, and to foreshadow what was to come, because the nation of Israel was always about the blessing to the whole nations. It was never about God just calling an ethnic group to himself. That, that's not God's heart at all. God's heart is for every tribe and tongue and nation in, under heaven. And so the Jewish nation were always his vehicle, if you like, for, for bringing his blessing through to the nations. And when Jesus came, Everything that went before was superseded. And, G- and this is the whole argument of Hebrews. Jesus is a better. Jesus is better. Jesus completes it. And, and what a wonderful phrase here that we hear. We have access, confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. And that's the thing about Jesus. The roadworks have gone and there's a new and living way into God's presence And it's not just a new and living way into God's presence in a building, in a temple. It's a new and living way into God's presence, into the holy of holies in heaven itself. The very place where God dwells right now behind this physical sphere that we're in is the heavenly realms where God dwells. And by the blood of Jesus, we can enter the holy of holies in that realm. Isn't that incredible? So that means that in a a moment when when we worship... Sadly, I won't be with you, but when, when you worship, that's what it is. You have confidence to enter the holy of holies through the blood of Jesus. Full assurance of faith. This passage has tremendous implications for our worship together as, as a people. And it has tremendous implications for our individual relationships with God too, of how we approach God, how we relate to God in the here and now, because he's opened a way. He's opened a way for us to come to, to God. It's absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant. And the way Jesus did it, it's not just like he said, oh, that's the way to God, just go through those doors. Yeah, fine. There you go, yeah, I've shown you the way, off you go. He hasn't done it like that. He's blazed a trail 
It's like he's gone ahead of us into the presence of God. And then he's turning around and he's beckoning us in. He's beckoning us in. He's there in heaven, beckoning us, saying, come, I'm your high priest. I'm the way. I'm the way that you can come to God now. So come on in. Follow me. Follow me into the presence of God. I've opened up the way through, through, his, through his body, which was like, a, like the curtain. You know, that moment where Jesus died, he breathed his last breath. And there's like this, this irresistible response, almost like a physical response that happens. The curtain just can't help itself. It just tears from top to bottom because the way is now open because of what Jesus has done. So his body is like that, that curtain was torn in two. He did it through his own death. He did it through giving himself up as a sacrifice. And the way is open, the new and living way. And so that means we can approach God with sincere hearts and in full assurance of faith. We can be fully assured of this. And like it says in Jeremiah about we'll be given a new heart, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And part of that is, is there's a sincerity. When we come to worship, we can come with, a, with an open heart, a sincerity of heart before God. He knows us anyway, but there's a sense in which we can come just freely. And what that means for you if you're if you've struggled, as we were hearing a couple of weeks ago, with, with guilt and with shame and with, with your own performance and with you knowing that you've messed up, it doesn't matter because the blood of Jesus is the way in, not your own performance. Or if maybe you've lived really well, you, you know, you're proud of how you've done, you've, you've lived righteously, you haven't slipped up in sin, you've done well, and there's a, there's a danger there of resting in your own achievements. That's equally as dangerous, actually, to be in that place as it is to be in a place where you've messed up and sinned. Whether you've been righteous, whether you've been unrighteous, the fact is that Jesus is the way. And this is an absolute foundation and it's so important. And so we can have that full assurance of faith when we come to him. Secondly, we can have hope. I love this word. It says, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And sometimes in our worship, and it, certainly in our culture today, um, when we come to worship, we place quite a big emphasis on, on meeting with God in the here and now, don't we? If we come to, with the presence of God, we can meet with God now. And that's right, and that's good. And, but sometimes we can just be looking for an experience, or our Christian life can be sort of like, uh, you know, I, I, need, I just need to meet with God and have a touch from God in the here and now, and then that will help me just today. That will help me keep going. And we can sometimes live day to day. And there's something right about that. There's something good about, you know, as Sandra was praying earlier, fresh bread. Every day we need the presence of God. We need fresh bread for, to walk. But there's something about hope that can be the missing element in our worship and in our relationship with God. Hope is a massive thing. It's a massive, unique thing that we can have as Christians that we can live with and that, we can, that can feed us. And if you look in this passage, there's quite a lot of, um, there's a big sense in where the whole thing is framed around a particular time scale. Okay, and that time scale is to do with something called the day. So at the end of this section in verse 25, you know, it says, let us hold on to hope, let us hold on to faith, let us love one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the context we're in. There's a day approaching where Jesus is going to return. Later on in the passage, it refers to it again, verse 37. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith. 
So there's a very real context that's set here, which is that Jesus is returning, and it's going to be very soon, in just a very little while. Like those just, That just isn't some sort of strange phrase. That's in just a very little while. Do you ever have that sense? Do you live with that sense of just a very little while? Not long. There's a day that's approaching, and we're living in the light of it. Sometimes sermons kind of hit you at a particular area in your in your life. Perhaps they you know, refer to a particular area or a particular thing that you're hitting right now. This sermon, it's like you've got to see it in the context of, of the whole of your life. <laughs> it's one of these ones. It's a bigger picture sermon. It's a bigger picture message. And it's good to think like that sometimes. It's good to, to zoom in, so like in Google Maps, where you sometimes you scroll right in to, to the very place that you want to go and you have a look around on street map and you see the place. But sometimes you can also zoom right out and you suddenly get the whole world. This is like one of those messages. We've got to look at it in the context of our whole life. We've got to look at it in the context of our whole life. And hope is something that can seriously fortify us. Let just um, Briefly, just back in chapter 9, verse 28, he introduces this idea. He says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting for him. And that's, that's the hope that we have. Because of this full assurance of faith that we have, we also have hope that when, when Jesus returns, we're going to see him face to face, and it's going to be good. It's going to be a good thing. <laughs> it's going to be something that is just mind-blowingly, inexpressibly amazing, seeing Jesus face to face. I don't know, sometimes if you, if you FaceTime people or if you Skype people, you know, maybe friends, family, loved ones, maybe some, some of you have got friends in other countries or you don't see very often, and you FaceTime them or Skype them, and it's like, it's nice, it's great, you can have that conversation, but maybe sometimes the reception goes or sometimes it's, it, it, it's temporary. It's not the same as when you then meet them face to face. When you see them again, oh, it's so good to see you. So good to be able to embrace you. That's what it's going to be like when we see Jesus. And so when we worship together now, it's almost like FaceTiming, if I can put it like that. We're, we're having a bit of time with Jesus. But we can also have that longing, that sense of, oh, Jesus, I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to be with you. May that hope also stir us and of course the other thing about hope is that it fortifies us through difficulty and hard time when we're going through trials when we're struggling when when real stuff is happening in our life it's hard which for some of us we, we, we are going through that right now hope can be something that fortifies us that really 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 does keep us going because jesus he's going to come he's going to he's going to come and take you by the hand and invite you welcome you into his kingdom not because of what you've done, but because of him, because you've trusted in his blood. This, the third thing is, is love. And the way it's expressed here, verse 24, maybe consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Christianity is a team sport. Imagine if England later on just sent Harry Kane out onto the field to face Panama all on his own. Now, I know people have been talking down Panama, but I, I think if you had one player against 11, I don't think even, even our great illustrious captain is going to win. Christianity is a team sport. We need each other. We really do need 
each other. You cannot be a lone wolf when it comes to following Jesus. This is one of the clearest passages in the New Testament, isn't it, that, that, that states that really clearly. Let us not give up meeting together. Let us encourage one another. Let us, let, let, let us spur one another on. That, that word is almost like a kind of, uh, like, almost like molecules coming together and they create a reaction, sometimes spurring one another on. You know, sometimes we do rub each other up the right, wrong way, don't we, <laughs> in church? Sometimes we do. Sometimes our relationships can be, can be difficult and they're hard work and we have to work at them. And sometimes you can feel like, oh, oh, do you know what? I, I, I can't be doing with that. But that's, that's not the way. That's not the Jesus way. That's not the way of his body. We need to recognize that we need one another. We need one another. We can't do it alone. A bit like, I don't know if, um, there's a couple of members of Emerge here. Maybe you'll know this reference. Uh, anyone know Fortnite, the game Fortnite? A few people? Yeah, okay. So it's, <laughs> so it's basically, it's a game about a zombie apocalypse. Okay? And you, you control these four, four characters and you have to create forts to stop the zombie hordes coming and attacking you, and then you have to like destroy them. That's the game. It's very, very um, popular and very, very um, addictive from what I hear. Um, and maybe you've seen a horror movie or something, and, and you can think of it in this way. But always what happens in these situations is that when the team stick together, they do all right. It's always the one that goes off on their own that gets picked off by the baddie, isn't it, by the monster. And when you watch a film and that happens and you see the person just like wandering off on their own and you think, you silly person, you, this, you've got this coming. <laughs> and there's almost a sense of you know what's going to happen. And that is what it's like if you're a Christian and you don't go to church. It really is that serious. It really is, it really is madness if you don't link in with other Christians if you don't recognize that you need each other to keep going. And you might say, do you know what, Owen, that's a, that's a bit heavy. It's a bit, it's a bit full on. You're sort of, you know, you, you, you labor in this point a bit hard. Well, actually, the writer to the Hebrews hasn't even got started yet, as we're going to see as we read this next very challenging passage from verse 26 to 31. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who was treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why do we need to do these things? Why do we need to hold on to faith? Hold on to love, hold on to hope. Because we need to keep going to the end. Because we're in danger, otherwise, of, of falling away in this way, which is exactly what was happening to these Jewish Christians, as, as I said at the beginning. Now, a passage like this can raise a lot of issues, can raise a lot of questions. And um, there was a similar warning, if you remember, 
back in chapter 6, which, which Jonathan dealt with brilliantly and sort of addressed that whole question of, well, what about once saved, always saved? You know, uh, isn't, there, isn't there a sense in which once you come to know Jesus, you're not going to lose your salvation? And he, he, he dealt with that brilliantly, and I encourage you to have a listen back to that online. I'm not going to address that particular question um, in detail here, but we just need to let this warning land in our hearts, actually, that there's, there's a sense in which, as, as we've been hearing, as, as we've, been, we've, we've been hearing, there's, there's full assurance of faith for us who believe. There is a full assurance of faith. We can be fully assured of, of God, but, but there is a sense that once saved, forever following. Once saved, we, you know, Jesus said, come follow me. We have to follow him. We do have to keep going, and it's not—it's not works. It's not that we're earning our salvation, but it's we're showing our salvation through our lives and through through obedience to Him, and and we have to keep doing that. We can't give up on that. And this isn't talking about, you know, when it says deliberately keep on sinning. Hey, do you know what? I've been a Christian for over twenty years, and I've deliberately sinned in that time. I just admit, I haven't. I haven't, since becoming a Christian, I haven't then never deliberately sinned. I know that I have. Probably have deliberately sinned in the last week even. So it was like, well, what, what, how, do, how do we sort of, because I'm sure you can relate to that, but how do, how do we match the two up? Well, it's like I was saying earlier, that it's the blood of Jesus that is our righteousness. And we need to come back again and again to the cross with our sins. When we realize we've sinned, we, we, we confess our sins and we repent and we come back to God and he reinstates us and he cleanses us. And we have this amazing, this, this picture that we saw earlier, uh, a cleansed from a guilty conscience and, and washed with pure water. We can't, we're pure before him by his grace. But there's a, there's a type of sin that I think this is referring to, which is a more settled defiance, I think I'd say. A settled defiance or an unbelief that can come in where actually over time, perhaps you, 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 you slip away you stop meeting with other believers. You stop living with that hope and with that fully assured faith. You drift. And before long, you're starting to think different thoughts to what you thought before. Maybe you're starting to believe different things. Maybe you're starting to make decisions based on completely different criteria than you were before when you were walking more closely with God. And this is what can happen. It can, it can come in and... and, and and when that happens, when someone takes steps and steps and steps and steps and steps away from God before they know it, they're no longer professing, they're no longer following. And when that happens, when someone rejects God in that way, then the warning has got to hit home. We've got to, we've got to hear it in its full um, horror, really. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is, is righteous and just and he's not going to be messed with. And the fact is that it's not like he's harsh and he's uncaring and he's unkind. He's provided the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. This is the whole point, the whole thrust. You've got to hold on to him. It's only by the blood. Imagine if, if you need to, if you, if you had a eternal illness and, and someone could give you an antidote. There was a fire which had an antidote to your, to your illness. If they handed that to you and then you just threw it in the bin, that would be like that would be like this: treating the blood that saved you as profane, treating it as an unholy thing. 
And that's what people do when they, when they turn away from God uh, over the course of their lifetime and, and they don't repent. And look at the, look at this sort of, um, uh, the argument he uses here. He's saying, oh, look, under the law of Moses, there's a thing that says, you know, if you, if you break the law, then you can be stoned to death uh, up with two or three witnesses. That's what the law of Moses says. So you're talking about rejecting Jesus and going back to the law. Well, if you don't keep the law, then that's, that's what you can get. And then he uses this, 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 this logic. Well, how much more severely do you think someone should be dealt with who's rejected Jesus, God's son, who's provided a better sacrifice? It's, it's actually fair enough. It's a fair question. How, how do you think God should deal with someone who has, has, has tasted of his goodness and has walked with him and then has just rejected it and turned their back on them? It's real. This stuff is so real. And it's hard. It's hard for us to hear, but we've got to hear it. We've, we've got to let, let this land, this passage. And again, there's, there's tremendous encouragement here. The whole point is he's saying at the start, we have tremendous confidence. And as he says in the next section, he says, look, don't throw away your confidence. You need to persevere. It's verse 35. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. If he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. That's the exhortation that, that, that can land with us as well. We have everything we need. We have tremendous confidence from God. We have hope. We have each other to help each other on the journey. We need to persevere. We need to keep going. There's something uh, about the Christian walk, which is, is, is your whole life. If you're here and you're a Christian, that, that's something that is for your whole life. It's not just a phase, it's not just a fad, it's not just something you're into when you're young, it's not just something that you inherit from your parents, it's not just something that, 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 that gets you a good job or that, that, that helps you out, it's not just something nice to teach your kids because it's a good moral values, it's something for your whole lifetime. I love that, I love that we sang that song earlier, it has that line in doesn't it? On that day when my strength is failing, still my soul will sing. <laughs> And that oh, it's great. I love singing that. And, that. and that's my prayer when I sing that song. It's like, yes, it's about finishing the race. It's about running right to the end. That's the thing about Christianity. It doesn't really matter how you start. It doesn't matter how you became a Christian. It doesn't matter whether you have a, an amazing conversion experience or whether you just kind of grew into it and you can't really remember when you believed. It's about how you finish, actually. And it's about finishing strong and it's about getting to the line, still going, still persevering. And it's an amazing encouragement. Can I say to those, uh, respectfully say to those of you who are older in years in the room and who have been Christian for, lo for long, a long time, you are a great example. You're a great example to the rest of us of perseverance. You've, you've done it. You've gone ahead of many of us. You've, you've been faithful. I encourage you, keep going. Keep going. Keep, keep helping us to see what it looks like to persevere to the end. Because that's what we need. We need to keep going. Perseverance, it's been described 
it's been, it's been defined as long obedience in the same direction. That's what it means to persevere. So to, to just keep on the same track, to keep going, to keep going, to keep going. It's something in our society that is very kind of uh, alien, I'd say almost, because in our society it's all about, well, do what feels good, go over here, and then try a new experience, do something new, get, you know, move around and, and change your beliefs. Spiritual richness is thought to be having a, a broader view of all lots of different things. Whereas actually, true riches is in keeping on going and keeping on persevering in the truth that's been revealed to you. And that truth is Jesus. Let's not shrink back, but keep on persevering, keep on going. I mean, how do you do that? Well, I guess it's, it's, it's as, we, as it said, it's, it's that confidence that we've been given. Confident faith, confident hope, confident love for one another. I appreciate that's not particularly practical. Perhaps there's things to think about and work out. Well, what does that look like for me? How do I do that in my own life? All, all I can say is that this is about every day getting up and remembering who you are, remembering your identity, remembering the beautiful thing that Jesus has done for you, the good news that saved you, and the wonderful confidence that you have to walk in it. Just as we finish, I know for for many of us, we might know people, maybe even people who, who used to sit here in this room with us, who they come to mind when you face a passage like this. And I just think we need to remember that God is merciful. That God is a good and merciful God and he deals with everyone mercifully and kindly and graciously and justly. We can trust in that and completely entrust ourselves to that. And I think for those people that come to mind, let's keep praying for them. You know, that's, that's, that's a, a, a sort of outworking of this. Let's not give up. You know, God is capable of, of, of bringing people back. If there's a particular thing that's keeping them away, a particular a blockage or something, let's, let's, let's pray, God, God, would you do it? Would, and let's persevere in prayer for them as well. I know that happened to me. When I, I, I was a, a teenager, went off the rails, and I know that there were some Christian friends who were praying for me without stopping. When I, when I came back to God um, later on in my life, and I realized that these guys had been praying for me, I was just, I was undone. I was like, wow, isn't that amazing? They, God heard your prayers, and thanks to your prayers, I'm back. <laughs> Let's keep going in prayer. Let's keep persevering.